0: Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed.
1: Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it Ah. eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available. However, you listen to podcasts
0: spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Slapping on the VR headsets and chasing ghosts at the same time. It's episode 441 of the Down and Nerdy podcast. I'm James Witham. Busy, busy show this week with a ton of interviews. I'm going to be joined by the cast and the creators of the Peripheral, which is a new Prime Video series that is now streaming. It's really trippy. It's from the creators of Westworld it's got rural and high-tech mixed in at the same time can't wait to talk to members of the cast of that show also dropping today is the new Apple TV Plus series Ghost Rider season three which has an all-new cast Going to be talking to the new members of that cast and again the creators of that series plus Josh Zaharia is going to join me this week we'll talk a lot about the boys because he played young butcher but he was in Ghost Rider as well so I'll ask him about that Got a review of Batman and Superman, Battle of the Supersons, the new DC animated movie. We can hopefully bring nerd news back this week. Not a ton of news, but we'll get to the big stuff a little bit later on in the show. But up next, yeah, let's talk about the peripheral, the new Prime Video series. Joining me, the cast and the creators. They're next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Hi, I'm Melanie Scrifano. I play Winona Earp, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: VR is about to get real in the new Prime Video series, The Peripheral, which is based on the books of William Gibson. And I was so grateful to be able to talk to some of the cast and the producers behind this amazing show. As a matter of fact, I want to start with executive producer Jonathan Nolan and Gary Carr, who plays Wilf. And you know, if you've read the books, you know who Wilf is, you know how important he is. So let's hear what they had to say hey gentlemen how's it going going well thank you gary i want to start with you because wolf's one of my favorite characters in the show for sure i feel like there's just so much intrigue surrounding this guy so what's your favorite thing about him
3: his humanity like he, i think he really cares about people definitely cares about flint or comes comes to care about her um, i think he always had that in him but he just like you know he just has questions that he needs answers for and so his approach with her is is quite cold and then you know Throughout so like the series, we see that that change develop. But I really love and respect and appreciate Will for that reason because everything and everyone around him is just doesn't seem grounded or rooted, whereas he's managed to to keep that. So I find that very attractive about him. I like Wolf. <laughs>
0: yeah, me too, man, me too. <laughs> Jonah, there's some crazy awesome tech that's involved in this show. Can you talk about kind of what went into bringing this tech to life on the screen? And if you guys did any research beyond what uh, William Gibson presented in his novel.
4: What's, what's so incredible about working on a William Gibson project is he's done. Bill has done so much of the thinking, and it's already cooked into the text. It's one of the things I love about his books, and I love reading them since I was a kid. Is the worlds are completely and fully imagined, so you you don't kind of ever have one of those moments. Where you're like, well, wait a second. If they can do this, then why would this be? You know, he's thought about not only how things work and look, but how they impact culture and society. The kind of knock on effect from from technology. So. A lot of the work was already done for us on a conceptual basis. And then for for us, the fun of filmmaking is that sometimes the right answer for how do you present two worlds is as blindingly obvious as you just create two shows. You build one in London, and you shoot there. And then you build another one in North Carolina, and you shoot there. Then you bring the pieces together. So sometimes there's an amazing technical solution to these things, and sometimes there's an old-fashioned (laughs) answer. What we love the best is when you can combine... Combine those approaches.
0: No doubt. Really quickly for you, Gary, it's a very unique way that Wilf meets Flynn for the first time, to say the least. How much can you tease about that a little bit? And does that kind of not exactly set the trust level for them right away?
3: Yeah, I, I agree. It's a super interesting way. I think Wilf's challenge in that, in that moment is to convince Flynn what the actual reality is. And what's actually going on as you've seen in the, it the, not to get too much away but it does take him quite a while i think but as it would do but yeah i think it's, it's <laughs> i think it's a super awesome concept i love the description for it as well it makes complete sense to me i'm like i read that and i was like you know what i completely believe that and it'll be cool if we could start doing that now but <laughs> yeah I, I can't say too much too much more
0: well you guys will find out when the peripheral premieres on prime video on october the 21st guys thank you so much for taking your time today i appreciate it. Next up, I got a chance to talk to a couple of the power players in the peripheral. How about J.J. Field, who plays Zev, and Tania Miller, who plays the mysterious Sharice. Let's see if we can get them to reveal anything. How hey, you doing, James? John? J.J. Tania, how you guys doing? Yeah, Mamudea. Good. All righty. Well, let's just jump right in with this. And, you know, there's a lot of mystery surrounding both of your characters. So why don't we start out for anyone that's not familiar? Just tell us a little bit about them. We are part of a three-way power struggle
5: to find order and control for the future. There's us two, and there's Alexandra Billings, who plays LoBia, mm. And we are the three pillars of power in the future.
0: That's a pretty good way to describe it. JJ, let's keep that going a little bit. Because your character actually, in, the, in William Gibson's original no- novel anyway, has a history with Wolf. How much of that connection are we going to see maybe in this series?
5: Absolutely. I think that's both Lev's greatest character trait and his weakness is his friendship for Wilf. is that, you know, the supervillain needs to be able to make decisions without feeling, but he has a great affinity to Wolf, and that's going to affect his judgment and his actions moving forward.
0: Cinia, so, what I love about your characters in general that you've played over the years, you just have a way of owning the room for some reason. I don't know what it is. Uh, you just some reason. Look at this woman. She does. I mean, come on. She just has a way of just owning the room, and and and, and this is Sharice is no different as far as I'm concerned. So she makes a big impression. Doesn't say a word at all. So what do you think her main motivation is, though?
6: No, she is really about the greater good, Sharice. and she may have some obscure ways of going about it, but. I, I just think that she has she has great insight and she knows exactly what she's doing and exactly what is needed and she gives no was well, gives no fucks, hold no balls, and 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 she does what needs
5: to be done to get the job done. Yeah, she she is completely unapologetically herself.
0: Of course, you guys both meet you know Burton Bert, first and then you kind of meet Flynn a little bit later on. But talk about both of your characters' first impressions of Flynn. I mean, I'm quite
6: impressed by her. Actually, I'm secretly very. I mean, she's a nuisance and she's a pest. She's a bit of a mosquito, so there's she. You know, she has a bit of a sting which you will recover from, but she's very impressed and she under she undermines her initially, and into to to Cerise's detriment. I guess you have to watch watch it all to find out.
5: I mean, Lev immediately thinks that this this peripheral should be his toy, but the second that you know Chloe opens her mouth and. Gives even more than she can take, then Lev has to readjust his respect and uh, relationship with her straight away. Ooh. And then it's someone who he has to see as an equal. Whether Lev is capable of doing that, I don't know.
0: I guess we'll have to find out on October the 21st, because that's when you can see the peripheral on Prime Video. JJ Tina, thank you so much for your time thank today. You. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Have a good one. Anytime you have the amazing sets, that you have on this thing you got to talk to the director so we'll talk to Vincenzo Natali and one of the executive producers Lisa Joy about bringing those Westworld vibes and bringing these two worlds together let's hear what they have to say well what we have here is actually a series that's based on the William Gibson novel there's so many great elements to it as well so I guess this is kind of for the both of the, both of you how did you kind of go about deciding how much you want to keep in the show and how many changes you want to make because I feel like that's always the, kind of the thing when you do something like this
2: there is so much in every William Gibson page to, that you could possibly explore. He's so excellent at imagining fully his universe, and in this case, universes. Mm. We knew that in order to bring this to TV as a series, what was most important was that we focused on a through line that people could become emotionally attached to, as well as you know intellectually intrigued by. And so I think that was sort of the guiding impetus there was to look at the story, the very relatable and kind of universal tale of somebody who's in a community trying to figure out who she wants to become during an uncertain time through playing a game or what she thinks is a game. All these new opportunities open up, you know, and we just kind of followed that emotional grounding and in doing so encountered so many different facets of the world that Gibson set up and so many of the characters that he set up in these worlds. And I think to us, that was the kind of guiding narrative principle.
7: I recall when Lisa first read the book, she had a very visceral reaction to it, which is not the way people often respond to that book because the first hundred pages of it is, Pretty dense and not easily <laughs> decipherable, but she understood the heart of the story. And I think that is always the, the kind of North Star when you're adapting something is finding that heart. And that's how I'm sure William Gibson would do it if he had to adapt it to the screen. And I, I do feel like the show retains the flavor of the book. That's what I'm most proud of is that finally William Gibson's work has found its place on the screen, if I do say so, I think properly adapted.
0: I would agree with that for sure. I I do love the fact, too, that you're talking about worlds, uh, plural, because you do first, one second, you're in the Blue Ridge Mountains, and then the next second, you're in futuristic London, which I think is really cool. How exciting was it to kind of present such a wide range of visuals for this series? Because it's, it's totally different.
7: I think that's what makes it so exciting, certainly for us as filmmakers, is the dialectic between those two things. These two worlds that on one hand are completely different from each other, and yet have this sort of weird warped mirror reflection of each other. And, and it is the contrast. I, I felt that, you know, when the show was finally finished watching, it was just the flavor, those two flavors coming together was something I hadn't really experienced before. And it's, and, and it's very it's seductive. It's, it's, a, it, both worlds are beautiful in their own way.
0: Really quickly for the both of you. I love the relationship between Flynn and Burton because it's got typical brother sister vibes, but at the same time added layers. So really quickly, how would you describe the relationship?
7: Well, I mean, I think that's what's the dynamic between them is what makes it so relatable, right? Because they're not perfect. Because Flynn is, you know, of course, she's like a, a dynamic, wonderful sister, lovely. But she has issues with Burton, and Burton has issues with her. And it's the fact that they're, it's within their imperfection, they find this kind of harmony that makes them so great together and so much fun yeah. to watch together.
2: i call it a bickering kind of mm. love. And then, you know, but to counterbalance that, that kind of real life bickering love is the fantasy kind of love in life that's presented mm-hmm. by Gary's character, Wolf Netherton, when he calls, you know, so it's that, it's the mix, like, like Vincenzo was saying, between these two worlds, each one has its beauty and familiarity and allure, you know, so when London calls, it's a whole different type of community, opportunity and connection that she could have
0: you'll get to see for yourself on the peripheral premieres on prime video on october the 21st vincenzo lisa thank you so much for the time today i appreciate it thank, oh, you. thank you and really whether you're a fan of the book or not this is one of those shows that will just visually and mentally draw you in and you can't say that about a ton of shows right now sometimes it's one or the other but very rarely are both as intriguing and i think the peripheral really succeeds In that, if nothing else, I mean, it's a wonderful cast as well. But that's when the story and just the visuals around you can bring you in, and the cast is just like the cherry on top of the sundae. That's amazing for me. So make sure you're adding this one to your watch list on Prime Video, the peripheral. You're not going to want to miss out on this. And it is now streaming weekly episodes too, by the way. So you're going to have to keep coming back until December. That's going to do it for my chat with the cast and the creative team behind the peripheral from Prime Video. Up next, we'll switch gears and talk about Apple TV Plus' Ghostwriter. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
4: This is Cartoonist, Scotty Young, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Apparently, ghosts have a flair for storytelling. The Apple TV Plus series, Ghostwriter, is now streaming season three with a whole new cast and another amazing story to go along with it. So I got a chance to talk to that cast and some of the creative teams behind Ghost Rider Season 3. I actually want to start with the cast members, Princess Map, Noor, Asif, and Dare McLeod talking about not just their characters, but how much fun they had with this show. Let's hear from them. How's everybody doing?
8: Pretty good. How are you?
0: Doing really, really good. So one of the things I love about your characters is that you guys are kind of friends by coincidence, by accident, however you want to call it at the beginning of the season, how much fun was it for you guys, and I'll ask this of everybody, to have that friendship grow and evolve throughout the season, because that had to be a blast. I, I really liked th-
6: that this season, you know, we all met in the bookstore and we didn't know what was happening, you know, we heard all these noises and saw these incredible things and oh, yeah. we were all looking around, looking at each
9: other, we were like, do you see that too? <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it really helped us evolve as characters and as friends in the show, right. similar to how in real life, you know, when we first met on the Zoom call, to how we are now you know best friends yeah
8: like definitely all of our characters went through some development because nia personally i think she was like oh, I can do everything by myself kind of girl, Mm, and she didn't think she really need help for this mystery, Mm. but she learned that she did need the help from Samira and Charlie.
9: 100%.
10: (laughs) Well, I think actually, it was just really cool, the fact that not only did we become friends by coincidence, but it seemed like it was a happy accident, in the words of Bob Ross. (laughs) 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 Uh, It was uh, definitely really cool, because our characters not only complement each other, but we also make each other Better and stronger, mm-hmm. and for example, Charlie is the imaginative one, the spunky one, that kind of impulsive, maybe a little too <laughs> impulsive sometimes one. Nia. But uh, yeah, Nia, you know, She's balances like, her out. Okay. Yeah, and Nia's is like.
8: the opposite, and it's like they go together. And then Norris is Samir is just right <laughs> in the middle.
9: Yeah, like always in the middle.
8: Yeah, yeah, he's thankfully the happy mediator. He's
10: like everybody. We're good. We're all totally. a team. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: He's the calming influence of the group. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt about that. You guys got to work in some really cool fictional worlds in this in this season too. Actually, one that was created for the show. Actually, so which one was your favorite that you got to work? In? Oh, that's
8: they're so all hard. so good. Like it's really hard to pick one. The college, maybe the cabin. Okay, yeah. I have one
10: though. I think I okay. My I have two. My two favorite like places or worlds I like to film was I loved the whole there's like a big tunnel sequence which is really good I Loved the tunnel sequence I also got to film during the Leo El Magnifico arc I got to improv a an an entire magic show which Mm. was really fun because I'd been training with a magic coach named Ben Train love him he basically taught me all these tricks and was just like you've got it go for it. And I was like, okay. So I improv this magic show and that was really cool. And another personal favorite was the magic castle, but no spoilers because that's a big deal.
8: I really liked the episodes we were filmed in the tunnel. Yes. Those Mm -hmm. were so fun because like like, off camera, it was also really fun too, because it was at nighttime and it was like a different atmosphere like during nighttime. And all the scenes that we filmed in Nia's house when we were like just running around it's just so fun to me. I loved it so much. Yeah.
9: Huge beautiful house. Yeah. That was super nice. Oh,
10: the lake mm-hmm. house. The lake
9: house. Yes. The lake
10: house was cool, but also I think bring up the tunnels again. My favorite part about it though was this little <laughs> rover that was had a camera. It looked like the size of like this big. Yeah. <laughs> and it had a little camera on its back and was just zooming through those tunnels
0: and yes. we like
8: don't step on it. Like yeah.
2: Well,
0: like, I would have trampled on that thing for sure. I
8: yeah.
0: Nobody did. <laughs> no, really quickly, what about you?
6: My favorite fictional place definitely has to be either the tunnels or where we filmed in the cabin. Both that uh, night. Like she said. Those are
0: just
8: good times. That cabin was fun.
6: Different feeling, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, I feel like each episode is a different, everything is different in each episode, which I really like about the season. Right.
0: You guys will find out on October 21st. That's when you'll see Ghostwriters on oh, yeah. Yeah.
8: Apple TV.
0: Yeah. It's oh. Princess Dare. Thank you guys all so much for joining me. I appreciate it.
8: Thank, Thank you. Thank you.
0: Bye. Bye. Not just a wonderful cast, but some great minds creating this show as well. I Also got a chance to talk to Andrew Ornson, who was one of the people that developed the show for TV. Also director Luke Matheny, who directs the first episode of this third season. And the, by the way, they're both executive producers as well. Here's the insight that they bring to this thing. Hi there. Nice to see you again. So this is season three of Ghost Rider, obviously, but you've got a brand new cast for season three. Can you guys talk about a little bit? And I guess we'll start with you, Andrew, about the decision to have a brand new cast but still keep the spirit of the show. Sure. While we love the other
9: cast, we crafted a mystery this time around that necessitated a new story and a new cast to be able to tell that story. So that, that's why we did that. We, You know, as you know, we, we wanted to do a you know, a story of racial profiling and stuff. So it necessitated, you know, different characters. But we Absolutely. want to keep and the it, spirit of the show the same.
0: Oh, no doubt. And it's a very talented bunch. And Luke, I want to pose this one to you, actually, because it's just an incredible group, group of young actors that you got for these roles. What was it like working with this group?
11: It was incredible. The It was sort of all positives in the face of one big negative, which was COVID, which was the first time we had many of us have been on set in the COVID age. We started shooting in January 2021. But what that meant was everyone was locked in their uh, hotel rooms. We had lots of time to rehearse on Zoom and just much more time to figure things out ahead of time. So... You add that to this already high level of talent that they were bringing to the table, and we really were able to hit the ground running. Sometimes you try to shoot the fourth episode first, so to give the actors a chance to warm up. So then, when you shoot the first episode, then they they're at bringing their A game. We we were able to do that right right from the beginning. Uh, it was just a great cast, and they were just delightful kids to be around, which only pays dividends to the rest of the crew because everyone's (laughs) happy to be around good kids basically.
0: Oh, no doubt about that. And you guys have chosen some pretty neat stories to actually play with a little bit this time around. Can you kind of talk a little bit about, and I'll pose this to both of you, what how what went into what stories you decided to choose for, for which specific parts of this season? Because you've got some really good ones. There's actually, one that was written right for the show, correct? Yeah. Uh, yours, Magnifico.
9: Yeah,
11: Leo Alec Magnifico. Well, that, that's just a good example of how we kind of put the show together, which is we have this overarching mystery that requires these individual books. Sometimes we know what the book is going to be, and we've designed it that way. Or we need something from a book, and we find a book that will give us what we need for the mystery. And at that point in the mystery, starting in episode 4, we were talking about how it would be great if we had a magician who could help our kids.
9: <laughs> Do you have a magician book? And then that's what- Right. And then
11: since there wasn't really one that spoke to that, you know, met our needs that was in circulation, we teamed with this amazing writer Pablo Cartaya who's a Miami-based Y A writer who's terrific, and that was like an amazing process because both of us could help the other one. I I, I could make sure he was writing something that was going to be in the book that I could use for the series, and with, vice versa. I could set up something in the series that he was going to pay off in the book, and that was that was terrific. And it was a, a friend that I made, uh, <laughs> you know, and, in the in the process. Yeah.
9: And other times, you know, the the book department, the people at uh, Apple and Sesame brought us titles like the mouse and the motorcycle, and just stuff that we were just bending over backwards, just, you know, giddy that we could play with that. Right.
0: No doubt about it. Really, really quickly, family seems like it's going to be a big part of the story this season. How big of an arc is that? Is that going to be of an impact for the arc for Nia, Charlie, and Samir this, Samir this season?
9: Yes. It, I, it, it runs across all, all of them. You know, Nia, um, at the heart of her story, in addition to her own, you know, issue around the racial profiling, is that her mom is a big part of her story, who's the president of the university. Our character Charlie is dealing with some family issue with her old, living in the shadow of her older sister, who moves back home from college. And of course, Samir lives above the bookstore with his family. And they're you know new to the country from Syria. And there's a lot of chores and taking care of his little brother and stuff. So really,
0: family is a real theme that runs through all the episodes absolutely and you guys will find out october 21st that is when you'll see season three of ghost rider andrew luke thank you thank you guys so much for the time i appreciate Thank it. you have a good one and this really is a fun show with some very unique takes on some classic stories wizard of oz being one of them. you see that one really really early on i can tell you that much but there's so many others that will jump to mind you'll be so familiar with them and the brand new story is super interesting as well. I think that's one of those things. It's one of those things you watch with the kids. You know, it sends a good message at times. It also has plenty of fun at times as well. And just the dynamic between these friends is really, really neat. So make sure you're watching Ghost Riders season three, now streaming on Apple T V Plus. Again, thanks to the amazing cast and creators behind that series for joining me this week to chat about it. Speaking of Ghost Rider, they're going to get a little bit more in depth with that. Going to talk to Josh Zaharia, who's also part of this season of Ghost Rider, but also played Young Butcher on The Boys as well. Let's talk to him about all that good stuff next on the Down and Nerdy podcast.
5: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.
8: This is Alison Arria from DC's Peacemaker, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy. (laughs)
0: Well, here's a guy you might realize that you've seen in a few different things, and you're like, oh, so that, it's the same guy. You've seen him in Superman and Lois. You've also seen him in The Boys recently as Young Butcher, and boy, is he in a lot of cool stuff coming up, as well as Josh Saharia. Josh, how you doing, man?
6: I'm doing really good. Thank you so much for having me, James. How are you?
0: I'm doing very, very well. Now, we know that Butcher has issues with his dad. That's putting it mildly. So how, how excited were you to kind of not just join The Boys but to have a role that has such a deep backstory.
6: Yeah, well, I mean, I was incredibly excited. I, I know that fans really want to see Butcher's origins, his backstory for, well, I think since the first season, really. I mean, people wanted to see, you know, how he became the man he is today. His relationship with Lenny and his relationship with his father, right? So I was just incredibly honored and, and really excited to be a part of that. Just to be able to show that raw, more emotional side of Butcher, I mean, I was just really excited to be there and, and to just be on set on a production like the boys and to play a character like Butcher, who has so much incredible emotion and just this anger inside of him, his resentment for his father, but his loving nature to his brother. It was just incredibly, incredibly honoring.
0: We'll get into that in that just a second because, you know, I've been looking at your Instagram and there's a lot of pictures with you and Carl Urban, which yeah. is very, very cool. So how much did he kind of help you get inside the mind of Butcher and prepare for a role like this?
6: Yeah. I mean, well, Carl was great, actually. Uh, so funny story, I, um, the night before filming, I actually finished up with season two. So when I went on set, you know, I was, I think I was playing on my Nintendo Switch, you know, with um, Bruno who plays Lenny. We were just playing Smash Bros, I think. And then like from behind us, we hear like, oh, hey guys. Right. So I turn around and it's, it's Carl. And I was like, whoa, it's Butcher is standing right in front of me. Right. So that was just, it was really cool. And yeah, Carl was awesome, you know, and he absolutely gave me some advice on set, you know, when it came to the accent, how Butcher says some stuff, you know, how he would feel about stuff. So it was just great to have, you know, Carl who's played this character for um, a couple of years now to, to be able to come in and give me some advice and, you know, for us to be together in the same scene, because, you know, a little bit of a spoiler here, Carl is reacting or Butcher is almost in this nightmare scenario within the episode where he's reliving all this past trauma so it was great to just be able to have two butchers in the same scene. And yeah, he gave me lots of advice. It was awesome.
0: So did you just kind of have to, like pretend he wasn't there in those scenes? Because I was wondering that as, as I was watching it, because of course you guys don't, he's not consciously, you know, a part of yeah. that, that particular time period. He's just kind of there in the nightmare scenario, like you said. Mm. So did you literally have to like pretend that he wasn't there? And did you have to catch yourself from like looking at him a couple times or looking over to see his reaction, things like that?
6: Right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It was like, okay, yeah. Carl is standing right here, but we, you know, we just have to stay, in the scene you know just between a butcher and his brother so it was you know it was really interesting just to know that he was right there you know looking at us observing and also showing his his performance as well it was tempting not to look at a pro like carl uh, you know right beside me right just also acting acting his heart out you know with with this with such an emotional scene but yeah i think it was it was just incredible to be able to perform these awesome, just emotional, raw scenes, you know?
0: That kind of leads me into my next question, because these the scenes you're in are so emotional, and they're about as intense as it gets yeah. at certain times, too. So so how do you kind of approach a scene like that? Because, I mean, as a viewer, I mean, that's why I'm like, this, this is getting uncomfortable to watch at a certain point. Mm-hmm. So how do you, in that place, actually prepare for something like that?
6: Yeah, well, when I read the script, I was like, wow. You know, this is where we're getting to really uncomfortable territory right you know because this this character he's going through so much right with his abusive father you know i i think it's 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 really interesting because i i booked this character i think almost six months in advance when before actually going to shoot so i had a lot of time to prepare you know and and to have the dialect coaching and to really get into character and understand butcher's motives so I really I really wanted to delve deep and, and that's you know, I started watching the show. I, I wanted to understand the character more. I wanted to really I, I wanted to see what makes him tick, you know. There was a lot of preparation, just I think five or six months of, of just preparing and, and doing the dialect coaching. And, you know, just just getting ready for this character, because I knew it was it was really a daunting task because Butcher is a is an iconic character and a really beloved character as well from the comics to the show. So I knew I really wanted to, to give him my 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 best. Right.
0: No doubt about that, man. No doubt. So obviously you said you watched the show. Yeah. You know, the butcher's got some iconic lines. Oh, that he yeah. says on the show. So as you're getting into this, are you thinking to yourself, there's no way. I'm going to have to uh, deliver any of these lines, right? Were you actually prepared for that if, if that in, was going to be the case?
6: Yeah, well, I mean, I Butcher has a bunch of iconic lines, right? From diabolical to even just simply saying, oi, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I I was prepared. You know, when I was doing my dialect coaching, you know, we were preparing just sounds, you know, and just going through just the motions of just being able to prepare those 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 sounds. And just like, we, we I think we had something, it was like, Boiled oysters feel exploited when unloisted. So it's just a bunch of oysters in a sentence, right? Whoa. So we, we really prepared for that. And although my character doesn't really say any of those iconic butchery lines, you know, I definitely was prepared and I felt prepared to, to do so if, if I needed to say any of that.
0: Yeah, Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Now, it can be hard being an older brother in the first place, but especially when you're in a situation that Butcher and Lenny, yeah. Are in So talk about that relationship between Butcher and Lenny a little bit and that kind of bond that they have.
6: Yeah, I mean, it was incredibly important for us to show that uh, Lenny and Butcher, that they have an incredible bond. Just this absolutely amazing relationship. It's It's been previously established in the previous seasons that Butcher had a lot of care for his brother, Lenny. And so we really wanted to show that. And we also wanted to show that Butcher was protective of his brother from his abusive father. So that was really important you know especially when showing those flashback scenes i remember you know carl would always be like you know when we were outside of the camera and we were just there for eyelines he was like hey could you act it out because i'm really feeling this emotion i really want to see you know i really want to see you guys just interacting because i really want to feel that emotion of, of how much butcher really cared about his brother so it was really important to to show that aspect because Again, going back to the present, Huey reminds Butcher so much of Lenny, right? And that's mm-hmm. just something that's such a driving force for for Butcher, you know, it was really important for us to show that relationship between Butcher and Lenny, for sure.
0: You got it, man. You got it. You're talking to Josh Zaharia, of course, while he's young Butcher on The Boys, streaming now on Prime Video, a bunch of other stuff, too, that we'll get to here mm-hmm. in just a second. But Josh, of course, you were in the seventh episode of yeah. season eight. And you're, you're in the one episode in the season. You're playing such an iconic character. So you don't really get a whole lot of lead up to to, to really, you know, it's not like you get a few episodes to kind of establish establish yourself yeah. as a young butcher. You got one episode to get it right for such an iconic character like this. Like you said, what was the pressure like into coming into something like that and knowing that?
6: I definitely felt it, you know, because from the comic books, they're beloved, right? And And this show is really beloved by fans especially Butcher as well because butcher is such an iconic just a fan favorite right and and I love Butcher as well like when I watch the show he's one of my favorite characters mm-hmm. Carl does such an amazing job playing him he is butcher oh, when you're yeah. watching him right it's it's a character he was definitely born to play you know I wanted to bring my own take to the character because again this is a butcher before Becca right? Mm-hmm. Before Homelander, before all of this other stuff, right? This is just Butcher trying to protect his brother, right? And, and we really want to show, okay, this is like, this is a character that, you know, we, we want to understand where he's coming from, right? Especially from a young age, dealing with an abusive father, you know, we really want to understand how he became this, this vigilante, this, this vengeful guy in the future. And so I really want to bring my own, my own take to that while also honoring Carl's performance. Because again, this is a, a butcher that hasn't had to deal with the things that Carl's butcher has, mm-hmm. to deal, has had to deal with, right? This is before. So yeah, I definitely felt a little bit of the pressure, but I, I, I also think that I, I, I was pretty comfortable with understanding, okay, this is what I need to do. I'm really excited to do it and I can't wait for fans to check it out.
0: Speaking of iconic characters, let's switch gears for a second. Because of course you're part of Superman and Lois as well. Yeah. You know, no pressure at all playing a young Clark Kent because, you know, you want to talk about having to get it right. That's something that fans are definitely going to want to get right. So what was your experience like on that show as
6: well? Oh, it was great. You know, just being on set, playing such an iconic character like Superman. I mean, it's just incredible. I remember when I got the call from my agent saying that I was playing a a, a young Clark Kent. I mean, you should have seen the look on my face. Mm -hmm. I was so excited because I'm a massive superhero fan, right? So just to be able to... To, to hear, oh wow, you know, I'm playing a young version of Superman. That was incredibly exciting. Being on set as well, that was really cool. I got to meet Tyler, play Superman, of course, Tyler Hecklin. He's such a nice guy. And, you know, it was, it was, it was great, honestly, just an incredible experience. So I definitely wanted to get that one right as well. Because Superman is such a um, is such a symbol for hope as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, you know, I really wanted to get that right as well and, and showing that with Clark Kent.
0: You're also part of something else really cool on Apple TV Plus called Ghost Rider. And I'm, I'm looking at the description of the series, Josh, and I'm like, I'm getting some goosebumps vibes here. There's some other stuff. So for anybody that's not familiar, why don't you tell them a little bit about what the show is about and your character as well?
6: Ghost Rider is about a ghost, right, who's basically bringing book characters out into the real world. And, you know, it's it's such an awesome, like, I've, I, I've watched the show and it's such an awesome Cool show, and it, you know something that I really love about the show is that it also motivates kids to go read books. You know, it's it's one of the awesome things. You know, because now with, with technology and everything, you know, I, I I love technology. You know, trust me. But you know, reading books is also very important. You know, and so I this this show motivates people to go and, and read the books, right, and, and get to know those characters and, and actually go out there and, and buy a book and read it. And I think that's that's really awesome. that's really awesome. I don't think I can talk too much about my character or, you know, that's still very much under wraps. But I will say that my character is just very exciting. He goes through an incredible arc and I just can't wait for fans to to meet that character once I can talk more about it. But yeah, I think the show is just spectacular and I can't wait for this next season of Ghost Rider.
0: See, it's always fun to be the mystery character that you can't talk about because yeah, that just makes people go, right. oh, it must be really important then. <laughs> yeah, with,
6: with Butcher, I had to keep that under wraps. Yeah. Until- the episode actually came out it was it was really tempting i was like oh i really want to tell people but i, I, you know, I couldn't yeah
0: i bet that, that had to be crazy get into a little bit of your your history you you've been doing combat sports, man, since you were three years old which i think is really really neat so but at the same time you keep getting these roles where it's like okay you don't really get to throw down a whole lot so are you looking forward to actually being able to Use some of that at some point because I feel like it's coming, Josh. I feel like it's coming, but yeah. is that one of those things where you're like, I'm gonna be able to jump right in because I'm ready? I've already been doing this since I was three.
6: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a sucker for stunts, you know, I love stunts, and yeah, I've I've I did taekwondo for many years since I was about three or four years old, and then I've recently transitioned into boxing as well, so I, I you know, I love combat sports. I've been doing it since I was really young so absolutely I just I'm, I love I love stunts and I've you know I've been able to just get you know a little a little sneak peek of stunts with with projects like the boys and Superman and other things as well so I really can't wait to just be able to really jump in and just be in an action heavy project where I get to do a bunch of those stunts jump around punching all that fun stuff you know I, I can't wait.
0: Absolutely. Before I let you go, Josh, I, I keep thinking about the boys and, and we've got spinoffs and all these things coming yeah. from the boys. Do you think there's there's something there where you could actually have a spinoff of a young butcher and there's, a, there's more of that story to unpack that you'd really like to tell?
6: Yeah. I mean, I I still think there's so much that you can tell with, with this character, right? And so much of his origin that's, that's still left a little under wraps. So, you know, Honestly, I feel like if Eric Kripke and the team over at the boys, if they want me back, I'll be there, you know, and if they want to do a spinoff, I'll also be there. I would love to come back as the character. I feel like there's so much to explore. I mean, in the comics, there's there's a lot more than what we're presented in the show. So I think there's definitely still a lot of room to play. Yeah, of course. You know, I would love to come back.
0: Well, you're seeing a lot of this guy already, not just as young butcher on season three of the boys, which you can stream right now on Prime Video. You can see him on Superman and Lois. Season two as well. Also coming up in Ghost Rider and Apple TV plus in summation. That's a lot of stuff that you're going to see him in. It's Josh Saharia. Josh, thanks so much for taking the time, man. Appreciate it.
6: Thank you so much for having me, James.
0: I got to really agree with him there. I think that there's so much more to tell with the character of Butcher. I really hope we get a chance to see more of young Butcher and Josh playing that role. But I, th- I think we're going to be seeing Josh in a lot of different things here coming up. Can't wait to maybe have him back on the show at some point to talk about some of the great stuff that he's going to be doing, because as you heard, there's a lot of it. Thank you again to Josh Zaharia for joining me to talk about The Boys and Ghost Rider and so many other great things. Up next, going to give you my spoiler-ish review of Batman and Superman, The Battle of the Super Sons, the new animated movie. i will talk about it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
11: This is Dave
7: Das Malchin, creator of Count Crowley Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter. You are listening to
0: the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Looks like saving the world is a family business. How about a spoiler-ish review of the new DC animated movie, Batman and Superman, Battle of the Super Sons. I should tell you, though, that Warner Brothers Home Entertainment did give me a free copy of this movie for review. All opinions here, though. Are my own now. Yes, this does center around Jonathan Kent and Damian Wayne, who are the sons of course, Superman and Batman, respectively. I, I will say, I say spoiler-ish because I'm going to talk some spoilers. I'm not going to blow the ending or anything like that. So, so don't worry about that. I won't, I won't, I won't reveal anything huge if you haven't seen it yet. But I will say this, and that, this movie should not necessarily have Batman getting the first billing here. And I'll tell you, I understand why you do it. Because you think Batman's more popular than Superman. It's more eye-catching, blah, 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 blah. Well, most of the first part of this movie, and I mean a lot of it, is establishing the Superman family with Clark and Lois and Jonathan and Jonathan's upbringing and the problems that Jonathan has and and things like that and and growing up and not knowing, by the way, that his dad is Superman. That, That much I could tell you for sure. So they go into that a lot. And then of course, you know, the, the reveal happens and I won't tell you how or why or anything like that. And and he finds out who his dad really is. And then he kind of gets brought into the superhero life and I'll get to, you know, the, the whole team up here in just a second. But I mean, they do, they spend a lot of time establishing that maybe a little bit too much time. I mean, I think you could lessen that a little bit because we don't get a ton of that with Damien. And that's why I think Batman and Superman is a little bit of a misnomer, especially since who's first, because if Batman's got top billing, then you would think, okay, so they're going to give equal time to Damien and we'll get to see what Damien's life is like and all that stuff. Well, I mean, I guess that we kind of know that story already, don't we? We've done that story in a previous movie, but this is supposed to be, you know, a new iteration of the DC animated movie universe, right? So I'm kind of surprised. We didn't really spend any time on Damien. As a matter of fact, you kind of skip right uh, ahead to everything and and that's when Jonathan and Damien meet each other. And you skip right ahead to that and you just establish that Damien's kind of a dick. And we know that already, obviously, but I'm just a little surprised that we still see Superman getting shot down from Krypton before it explodes, but we don't spend literally any time on Damien's backstory at all, or his home life at all. I thought that that was an interesting choice. So it should really be Superman and Batman, but I digress. So basically the threat that they have going on here is, and I'll spoil this one for you, is Starro. Starro kind of escapes Krypton and tries to take over the world, as Starro would would typically do. And you see from the trailer that that means enslaving Batman and Superman leaving the Super Sons, to have to fend for themselves. I will say that the back and forth between Jonathan and Damien is really, really fun. got to give a shout out to Jack Dylan Grazer, who plays Jonathan and Jack Griffo, who plays Robin in this, who plays Damien. They do a really good job riffing off of each other and just kind of bringing out those two very different personalities. I think was really, really the best part of this whole movie, especially when they're getting more comfortable with one another. And, you you know, the first meeting goes about as well as you'd expect it to if you know these characters. It pretty much goes exactly how you think it's going to go. And it's just amazing how chill the dads are about it in a weird way. I mean, Batman's always chill, but you know what I mean. So that is my favorite part of this whole movie, just watching that relationship grow. And I obviously, you know, anytime you get Troy Baker as Batman... I'm in for that because I think Troy does such a great job with the Batman character. And I I will say that Travis Willingham does a lot of hefty lift, heavy lifting as Superman in this movie as well. We get to see a lot of him. And again, the relationship between, between Clark and Jonathan is a really special one, I think. But shout out to Laura Bailey, who plays a nice badass version of Lo- Lois Lane in this movie. You never really know which Lois you're going to get or how much she's going to be involved. I actually think that she has a pretty big role in the midway part of this movie and there's a key piece to that that I think is really 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 neat actually so i mean where do i put this because i thought that the ending was a little bit rushed they spent so time built so much time building 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 and it's like oh shit we have to end this thing so then they you kind of throw that in there so i kind of feel like the ending was a bit rushed i like how they brought about the end i like how they brought about the ending though made sense to me. And then they kind of try to throw a little bit of a twist in there at the end. And that's, again, a little bit quickly resolved. Now, Starro is pretty formidable. I'm not saying that it should take an army to take down Starro. I'm not saying that how it was done wasn't good. What I'm saying is is that I could have seen more of that. You get to see some good action sequences in this movie. But it's not usually involving the main villain, if that makes sense. So there is some of that, I, I and mean, I guess it involves Starwin directly. But at the same time, it's like okay, I, you know, here's the the smaller battles. I get that, but a lot of the big action is is not what you would expect. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe maybe you'll see this and go, oh, well, I like, that. I think that's cool with something you don't see often. So that's 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 fair if that's how you feel, if you've already seen it, especially. I would say that this one for me, and I don't like to do number ratings anymore, it's not middle of the road for me. It was definitely better than average, for sure. With a couple of things done differently, I think it could have been really great. But what I think this does do is establish future possibilities for movies that are going to be led by Jonathan Kent and Damian Wayne. Will we get those? I guess that depends on how successful... This one is, but it it really feels like they're setting the stage for a future. Now, I think that there has to be some confidence that these two can lead a movie without needing their father's names in the movie. So I'm just going to say that right now. If you're going to go ahead with the Super Sons, DC, you're going to have to have the confidence that you can just put Super Sons on there and put these two boys on the cover and just let that be enough. Now, they're very much on the forefront of the cover, If you look at the Blu-ray, the 4K, or the DVD of this thing, they're on the front cover and the dads are kind of in the background, but they're there, okay? So if you want them to lead and if you think they can, you got to let them do it at some point. Dads are always going to be a part of the movie a little bit, but are they ready to do a full-on, let's let the kids have their fun kind of movie? I guess we'll have to wait and see. So I thought that this one was pretty good. I thought that the writing was pretty good by Jeremy Adams. Matt, Matt Peters did a good job. As the director, I actually did like the anime style animation. I wasn't sure if I would or not, but I actually did kind of dig it, and definitely looked better in the full version than it did in the trailer too. So I will say that the finishing job, well done by this group. So Batman and Superman: Battle of the Super Sons now available on Blu-ray, 4K, DVD, and of course digital HD at your favorite retailer. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish review of Batman and Superman. Battle of the Supersons up next. Let's see if we can find some nerd news to talk about. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
11: This is Joe Henderson, showrunner for Lucifer, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Ready to leap tall buildings in a single bound. It's time for nerd news. And this is, yes, it's a Black Adam spoiler. Okay, I'm just going to put that out there right now. But since the star himself hasn't been able to keep quiet about it, I don't feel so bad. So Dwayne Johnson has made no secret of wanting Henry Cavill back as Superman. And in case you didn't know, yeah, the post credit scene for Black Adam leaked. And yes, Henry Cavill does make a cameo as Superman in Black Adam. Okay, here's the thing. Apparently, and the Hollywood Reporter was really kind of the first to sort of break into this story. But apparently Dwayne Johnson went above the Warner Brothers studio exec's head. To make this happen. Now, I don't know if this is confirmed yet or anything like that. It's just part of the reporting that I've seen. And, you know, Walter Hamada's gone anyway, so what difference does it make? And, and kind of good riddance, sort of thing. But it seems like this is something that fans have wanted for a while. And uh, this doesn't necessarily mean that there's a long term future here for Henry Cavill as Superman, but it sort of seems like it's going to be that way, right? And it's interesting to me that. A lot of fans, and sometimes I use that term very loosely, by the way, a lot of fans gave Henry Cavill a really hard time when he was Superman. And now that he's gone, you want him back. So I don't know if this is absence makes the heart grow fonder. You don't know what you've got till it's gone or you pick the platitude. Okay, I don't know what that is. I never wanted to see Henry Cavill go as Superman. I thought he did a pretty good job. I thought he was dealt a couple of raw hands, but other than that. I thought he did a very good job. I thought he was a good Superman and still can be a good Superman. Now, does he lack personality at times? Sure he does. But all in all, he's a pretty good Superman, especially for the world that he was put in. I'd like to see him re- return as Superman and kind of stay that way and see what can happen with a Man of Steel too. Now, it certainly seems like Dwayne Johnson feels that way as well. He, I think he, he said somewhere that he thinks Henry Cavill's our Superman of the future. And for now, I can't really disagree with that. So to see him come back into the fold and maybe, you know, we'll get that epic battle of Black Adam at some point, and it's not just a single throwdown. I think that could be really, really interesting. I don't know if we'll ever see it beyond what we've seen now. I'm sure that there's things that need to be worked out there. And if I'm Henry Cavill, I'm not coming back just for a little, little piece. I'm coming back for the whole pie. I'm coming back for it all. And I want to be a big part of things. And Henry Cavill's kind of, he, he's done very, a very good job at upping his profile and picking project, projects that not only does he know is right for him, but also that are fan favorites as well. So he's definitely become more beloved by the fans than he was when he first took on the role of Superman. So where this goes from here, only time will tell. I think there's a good chance that this leads to something long-term for Henry Cavill as Superman. But again, since Warner Brothers doesn't have a DC executive chief yet, you know, a little bit difficult to figure out what's going to be going on. So they don't, they don't have their guidance yet. So I don't know that they're going to be making any long-term plans until they nail that down. Let's talk about some trailers this week. As a matter of fact, speaking of DC, they dropped the trailer for season four of Titans, which is going to be on HBO Max on November the 3rd. So not too far away. We get to see, finally, Titus Welliver as Lex Luthor. You've got Brother Blood debuting in this in this trailer as well, Mother Mayhem a part of it too. But I got to go back to Titus Welliver for a second because, man, does he look like a menacing and just mentally just intimidating Lex Luthor. And I when I saw that casting, I couldn't wait to see what he was going to do with the character. And it looks like, and there's going to be a major arc between he and Connor, and I think that that could be something that's really, really intense. And you sort of see that it's, it's kind of driving a wedge in the Titans a little bit. And you see, you know, Dick's kind of saying, "Hey, if you're gone, you know, that's going to be a huge loss for the team." And and that's I, I totally agree with that. But then you also see the super supernatural element being brought into this. And and if you freak Raven out. If you freak her out, then there's something going. There's something really bad going on. But you, this trifecta of villains in this season, I think might be the most formidable. Yet yeah, they've had some big ones, and I'm not. There's no shade to Deathstroke at all. They've had some bad stuff go down, but this one, I don't know. It just feels like a different ball game this season. So I cannot wait for November third on HBO Max for Titans to return. I want to talk about Creed 3 for a second, I, and I know that, you know, it might be outside of the scope of what we talk about. You know what? It looks like it's going to be good, and we're going to talk about it. It's also Michael B. Jordan's first time directing in the Creed franchise, too, by the way. This, this is going to be coming out March the 3rd of 2023. Now, this really looks like this is the Creed movie where it's going to finally just focus on Adonis, and, and that is the main focus. You know, Rocky, not really a part of this one or anything like that. So this is Adonis's movie, for, for lack of a better way of putting it. And then it's the whole past might be coming back to haunt you sort of thing because you've got Damien, who's Jonathan Major's character. He's apparently, they apparently go, hey Adonis go way back. And something went down with the two of them. Damien went to prison, Adonis didn't. And it's the whole, I watched you live my life from behind bars and I was the greatest, blah, blah, blah. And the rest is sort of history. That's really simplifying what is an amazingly emotional trailer and what looks like even just in the trailer. There's some beautifully shot scenes in this trailer, not just in the ring, but outside of it as well. And you can really, really tell that this has the opportunity to be something special. And for a third movie in the series, not saying a lot, but in a Rocky franchise, that, you know, is almost to be expected because of how great Rocky three was. So you get to this third movie in this, for some reason, maybe there's something in the water in this Rocky franchise that maybe Creed three could end up being the best of the bunch. We'll have to wait and see on that. I think it's a little heavy handed to say that after just one trail trailer, man, does this thing look good. Jonathan majors versus Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. Sign me up for that all day long. I think this one's going to be really amazing. A new Diary of a Wimpy Kid movie is going to be coming to Disney Plus on December the 2nd. It's Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Roderick rules. Basically, the gist of it is Greg gets left alone with his older brother Roderick. And, you know, it's time to learn a little stuff from Big Bro sort of thing. Now, does, does this make Greg come out of his shell a little bit? Certainly seems that way from the trailer. Maybe Greg's going to start doing things, some things that he wouldn't normally do. Step outside of his comfort zone. And, you know, Roderick may be a little bit of an idiot, and that's fine. But maybe Greg learns that, you know, that maybe there's a few things that I can learn from my big bro. Maybe it'll, you know, just get into a little bit of trouble or something like that. So this one, I I mean, these movies that they've done recently have definitely been fun, the, and especially the last one that they had on Disney Plus with the cheese. I thought that was really fun. So another Diary of, the, of a Wimpy Kid movie. I think this makes total sense for Disney plus. We'll see this one on December the 2nd and we'll find out if what Roderick's rules really are. Here's one I had to scratch my head at and that is, you remember Madison from She-Hulk and yeah, she was in episode four. She was a fun character. You know, you have a good laugh. Her scenes with Wong were, were really, really funny and you know, she's kind of like the tipsy idiot girl sort of thing and it was entertaining for that episode. It was, that that was definitely a character that I, that I remember from that show. And there aren't many that I remember from that show, but here's the deal. This, and this coming from comicbook.com, an interview that Kat Corio or or Kat Coro, excuse me, did with comicbook.com talking about that character and talking about, you know, how she's worked with Patty Guggenheim a lot and she's very talented in roles like this. You know, she's playing an airhead, but you know, there's also a sense of, you know, there's an there's a maturity and an intelligence to it, sort of thing. I'm paraphrasing here, but basically, she said that she wants to work with Patty again, and it's time to give pa- it's time to give Madison her own movie. And I'm like, okay, let's not say things we can't take back, because that is as mo- as fun as that character was in that small sample size. You tell me on what planet in what universe and on what earth Madison carries her own movie. You want to give her like a 45 minute or 30 minute, like one of those Marvel studios presents things kind of like they did with werewolf by night. I'm not going to stand in your way. Could it be fun? Absolutely. But we're if we're talking to her own movie here, tell me how she carries a movie, even if it's just a straight-up comedy, like She-Hulk was very much leaning to comedy. Nothing wrong with that at all, by the way. I don't see how this is a viable thing. Are there really enough people that enjoyed this character so much that you're willing to watch a movie that's based on this character and this character alone? Would it be fun to see where Madison was in certain instances of of major things going on in the MCU. Sure, it could be fun. Not for an hour. Not for an hour and a half. Not for two hours. Not with like four post-credit scenes. No. A thousand times no. And this is not a knock on Patty Guggenheim at all. I do think that Patty's very talented. I think that she did a fantastic job with this role. But this is a small sample size character or a character that shows up as a cameo and you get a good laugh out of it or you get a good surprise out of it. This is a perfect post-credit scene character. Let's not take it farther than that. It doesn't need to go any farther than that. So with all due respect to Kat, who did actually did a very good job as director with She-Hulk, I think we got to take a hard pass on a Madison movie, but that doesn't mean that I don't want to see her again for sure. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my many, many guests, That joined me this week. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, by the way, you can do that wherever you get your podcasts. Also, follow along on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram. I'm going to do better with social media, I promise. I've been slacking off on that. Also, at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. Easiest way to get to all this stuff, though, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Bookmark that thing while you're at it. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly.